Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. We're all in the business of trying to pick and harvest spiritual fruit. And that requires a tender touch. And Paul is saying that. Do this with humility. So when you and I are seeking to win the lost and rescue the deceived, there's a spirit that marks that. Humility, kindness. Don't bruise the fruit as you pick it. Welcome to Know the Truth. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Today, Philip DeCourcy gives a clear biblical outline on what it means to be a servant of God. It's a challenging message from the Without Apology series, our study on 2 Timothy. And later in the broadcast, we'll tell you about a resource that will help you deepen your Christian life. You can learn more at ktt.org. But right now, let's join Pastor Philip for today's lesson. It's the conclusion of a message he's entitled, At Your Service. Here's Pastor Philip. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. A message I've entitled, At Your Service, because the great theme of this passage is being a servant of the Lord. For us, the highest honor is to serve God and be known as God's servant. And here in 2 Timothy 2, verses 23 to 24, we have a description, a crystal clear outline of what it is to be a servant of the Lord. There are several pictures that Paul hangs on the walls of our mind here in 2 Timothy concerning Christian ministry. And this is one of the descriptors that the apostle uses concerning pastoral ministry. A servant of the Lord. That's what I call the description. In our English versions, the Greek word doulos is translated servant. But that is not a good translation. That is not an accurate translation because doulos is the Greek term that's common for slave. In fact, one of the words used for redemption in the New Testament is a word that means to buy a slave at the marketplace. Now, in this case, redemption is the purchasing of the slave to set them free. And that's what Jesus Christ did because according to John 8, you and I are slaves to our sin nature. And Jesus Christ comes and he frees us from that. But the implication of redemption in the New Testament is he frees us from the slavery of sin into the freedom of slavery to his will, whose will is good and pleasurable. And so the paradox is that we will never be more free as men when we're the slaves of Jesus Christ. Now, in the Roman world, slavery was bondage. Slavery was cruelty, punishment, hardship. But slavery to Jesus Christ is freedom, joy, eternal purpose, and everlasting reward. So that's the description. Secondly, we've got the disposition. The disposition. Because according to Paul, the servant of the Lord will exhibit certain traits, certain behavior that will both protect the church, enhance the gospel, and multiply his effectiveness. Now, Paul describes these traits 
in both negative and positive terms. There are some things the servant of God should not do, and there are some things the servant of God should do. So let's get into the text. We've moved from the description, the servant of the Lord, to the disposition. How does that work itself out? Negatively, look at verse 23, 2 Timothy 2. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife, and the servant of the Lord must not be a quarreler or quarrelsome. The servant of the Lord is not to engage in fruitless theological disputes with false teachers and become argumentative in spirit. Now, let me say this. When Paul says in verse 13, don't avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife and don't be quarrelsome, he's not prohibiting controversy. Paul's not saying you never engage in controversy regarding doctrine or theology. He's not saying that. There is a time and a place to engage in polemics. Jude 3, right? Contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Philippians 1 verse 7, I am set for the defense of the gospel. Titus 1 verse 9, the elder must refute those who are in error. But what we are to avoid is discussion that is speculative in nature, not biblical and that gives oxygen and platform to false teachers. That's off limits. So Paul's not prohibiting all controversy, but he is addressing the attitude that ought to mark theological debate when it justly takes place. And what is that attitude? Verse 24, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel. And Paul is saying here, look, if you're going to get involved in controversy, do it out of love for Jesus Christ, not as a seeker of contention. You know what? If you're going to defend the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, make sure you look something like him when you're doing it. It's kind of basically what Paul is saying. Because Jesus was gentle, according to Matthew 11, verse 29, and Matthew 21, verse 5. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7. You can look at that later, but you'll see that the term gentle is used in that context, same Greek word, for a nursing mother. Wow, what a picture of the servant of God. Not the angry father type, but the gentle, loving mother type who nurses their child, protective, sensitive. That's the picture that Paul uses. And I understand this is not a call to timidity. We're not talking about that. We're not becoming theologically disinterested here or doctrinally passive. There's no way he means that. And you know that because if you look at verse 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. So there is a place to correct. There is a place to engage in theological discussion and call people out if they're in error and warn them of the consequences of theological deviation. But what's the spirit? What's the manner? It's gentleness. It's being affable in spirit, kind in manner, and thoughtful in your way. Listen, guys, gentleness is always the will and the work of God, for it is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.23. We understand the prayer of the little boy who said, oh God, make all the bad people good and make all the good people nice. We need to be nicer. And then we are sometimes in dealing with those we need to correct who are in opposition. But let's keep moving the servant of God is to avoid quarrels that are unprofitable. The servant of God is to be gentle 
The servant of God is also to be able to teach. One would assume those who are in opposition be able to defend the gospel. Because look at verse 24. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle in all, able to teach. He must be able to give himself to the ministry of the word, to counseling, to missions. He must be an expert in the Bible. If you go back up to verse 15, we saw this, right? He must be diligent to present himself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The New Testament ministry is a call to education. And the point here is this, able to teach. Some people want to teach. Some people have been trained to teach, but we need men in the pulpit. We need men in the church who are actually able to do it. That's the thought here, able to communicate the truth. That's what the servant of God ought to be like. He not only knows it, but he can communicate it effectively. Every pastor wants it to be said of them. Every Christian leader wants it to be said of them. He is a able teacher of the word of God. I like the story of the pastor who was at the door on a sunny morning receiving just the greetings of his people. And as one woman one night, she says, Pastor, that sermon this morning was divine. He thought that was great until she said, it was divine in the sense it was like God's mercy. It endured forever. (laughs) And secondly, it was like God's peace. It passed all understanding. We don't want that kind of sermon, divine as it might be. And certainly Paul doesn't want that. He wants a man who's able to communicate effectively the word of God because there are those who are undermining it, opposing it, dividing the church, spreading like a cancer. So the man of God has got to step up. The slave of Jesus Christ has got to step forward and defend the truth, but do it in a kind manner. Last thought here, and we'll move on, is that the servant of the Lord is to be gentle. The servant of the Lord is to be able to teach. The servant of the Lord is to be patient. Now, this is a very interesting term. This is an interesting Greek word that literally means patient when wronged. It's to be patient when injured. Patient when confronted, patient when opposed. We're ministering to people who oppose the gospel, right? Verse 25, who are entrapped in demonic deception. But how are you going to win that man? How are you going to win that woman to Jesus Christ? How are you going to look like the Lord Jesus in preaching the Lord Jesus? Well, you're going to be kind. You're going to be gentle. You're going to be able to communicate the truth, and you're going to put up with their evil in the sense of having a tolerant spirit. I'm not talking about a tolerant mind. There's no putting up with the evil in your mind. There's no accepting of the false doctrine, but there's a tolerant spirit. And I think we need to make that distinction. And our country needs to learn that is the distinction when it comes to tolerance. Tolerance is a spirit. I can tolerate something I don't agree with without embracing it, without condoning it. And Paul is kind of saying that when you're meeting and correcting someone who's in opposition, I'm not asking you to be tolerant in mind because you've got to be diligent, rightly dividing the word of truth. Error is error. Call it out for what it is and see it for what it is. But when it comes to that person, be patient, be loving, be kind. Let's move to the last thought. Not only the description, not only the disposition, but finally the deliverance. Paul now continues in verses 25 and 26. 
And he continues to talk about the role and the responsibility of the servant of God. And he focuses on the damaging and the damning effects of false doctrine. Well, he talks about that. He also talks about how his heart aches for the victims of it in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, so that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him at his will. Because Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, I long to see people escape the shackles of false thinking and destructive doctrine, and I want you to come alongside me in the task of trying to correct those who are in opposition, and perhaps we will see some deliverance. Now, there's a few things here. This is about soul winning. This is about rescuing people from the snare of the evil one. A couple of things. Number one, did you notice the spirit of the soul winner? The spirit of the soul winner, look at verse 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Humility and gentleness should mark the soul winner. Correcting the deceived and winning the lost requires a tender touch. This is an interesting Greek word. It speaks of medicine, a soothing medicine that takes the sting and affection out of a wound. It speaks of a young colt, broken and under control, energy harnessed. And Paul is saying that to Timothy, when you're ministering to people who are needing correction, who are infected with false doctrine, who are trying to buck the truth, so to speak, you need to be of such a spirit and disposition that you're soothing and healing to them. And that while you're reacting against their doctrine, you do it as one who's controlled, knowing that you don't tolerate it in your mind, but you're putting up with this situation for the sake of the gospel because you're tolerant in spirit. And so the point is what, guys? You can't bully or bludgeon people into the kingdom of God. We're all in the business of trying to pick and harvest spiritual fruit. And that requires a tender touch. I have a friend who's on the board at the Master Samaritan, who along with his sons are some of the biggest fruit growers in California up in Kingsburg. And when I'm up there, you can just watch the way he handles the fruit. And he talks about that. We need to be very careful. If you go to their factory, you'll see the fruit in the thousands rolling down these rollers and the machines just handle the fruit carefully because you don't want to get that fruit bruised in the picking and the processing of it. And we have said this before, if you can't pick the fruit, don't bruise the fruit. And Paul is saying that. Do this with humility. This is the spirit of the soul winner. Understand where that person's come from. Remember what it was like to be lost yourself. And there go I but for the grace of God. But secondly, you've not only got the spirit of the soul winner, the sympathy of the soul winner. The sympathy of the soul winner. There seems to be more implicitly than explicitly, an understanding on Paul's part that those who are opposing him and standing in opposition to the gospel are victims of the devil's deception and dominion. That they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil who have taken them captive by his will to do his will. Now, Paul is not denying man's culpability. But he is understanding there is a maniacal, demonic force at work in the world that makes it harder for people to trust Jesus Christ and easier for them to believe a lie. And Paul recognizes that. 
He understands that the devil has his fingerprints all over falsehood because the devil's a liar, John 8, 44. False doctrine is a product of demons, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. And the devil has an ability to transform himself into an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 to 14. So when you and I are seeking to win the lost and rescue the deceived, there's a spirit that marks that. Humility, kindness. Don't bruise the fruit as you pick it. That person in your office is kind of a thorn in your side or has been getting under your skin a little bit. They're the loudest voice against the gospel in the office. Or you know someone in your family has indeed been drawn into a cult or a false religion or some philosophy of man that rises itself in opposition to God. Where's your sympathy? Do you understand they're being duped and doped by the devil? In fact, it's interesting, guys, that little phrase, to their senses, that they may come to their senses, that's the word that means sobering up. It's a guy that's coming out of a night of being intoxicated. And you know what? Many of our friends and many of our family are intoxicated with the devil's brew. Sometimes it's in the form of high church and religion without Christ. Sometimes it's more apparent than that, just, you know, an aberrant cult. Sometimes it's some sleek philosophy of life. But you know what? You need to look behind that and say, you know what? They are drunk on the devil's brew, and they are captive at his will, and I need to show a little bit of sympathy. There's a devil at work. They're the victims of his deception. Finally, the steadfastness of the soul winner. Be steadfast in this, guys. Be about the business of winning the lost, rescuing the deceived. And how can we be steadfast? What continues to stimulate us? There's that interesting little phrase, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, that's those who, according to verse 26, are trapped in the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him. Well, as you and I seek the witness to them lovingly, patiently, kindly, we do it in this hope. This is the steadfastness of the soul winner. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they might know the truth. Interesting little phrase, variously translated, for it may be that, or in the hope that. Now, there's a certain hesitancy here that I don't particularly like, if perhaps. But there is a recognition here of who you're dealing with. This is someone that's entrapped. Layers and layers of deception, not easily won to Jesus Christ. And so there's a certain hesitancy and a certain honesty here, but there is hope in it. Because God grants repentance, salvation is God's work. And as hard as that person might be and as dark as their mind might be and as many obstacles stand in the way to them coming to Jesus Christ, we minister in the hope that perhaps God will save them and grant them repentance because he's able to do that at any time with any person. And while there's a hesitancy here, there's an acknowledgement they can be saved and they might be saved. And as we minister, we minister in the hope that God will save them because he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A young man went to Spurgeon one time and said, you know what, Mr. Spurgeon, I've been preaching around the countryside for some time now. I don't see many souls saved like you do. Spurgeon looked at him and said, do you expect to see souls saved every time you preach? To which the young man replied, well, no, sir. To which Spurgeon replied, well, that's why you're not seeing anybody saved. And there's an acknowledgement there, uh, you know. 
by Spurgeon that, hey, when you preach, when you soul win, when you evangelize, when you minister, when you counsel, you need to do it in the expectation that God saves, will save, does save, and only God can save. And so in the middle of your conversation, taking Paul's words on board, you go, boy, this is a tough case. You know, they don't like me. They don't like the gospel. But you reach out to that person who's in opposition and you do it in a Christ-like manner. You don't give quarter to error, but you show kindness, patience. You communicate the gospel clearly. You do it in a loving manner, in a thoughtful way, and all the time in the back of your mind, there's this prayer going on, Lord, save, Lord, save, Lord, save, because only you can save. And he does and he will. And that's what gives us our hope, and that's what makes us a steadfast soul winner. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word, for this passage where we have the explanation of what it is to be a servant of the Lord. Alistair reminds himself every Sunday, and we need to remind ourselves every day that when it comes down to it, we're content if it can be said of us and will be said to us, well done, faithful servant. We want to be faithful servants. We want to be obedient slaves of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us to be that. Help us to exhibit this disposition, negative and positive. Help us, Lord, to be involved in deliverance ministry, where we become instruments in your hand to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. Help us indeed to have the Spirit of Jesus Christ as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to be humble. Lord, help us to have sympathy and compassion for those we're dealing with and help us to minister in the hope that peradventure, perhaps, that God will grant them repentance and bring them to a knowledge of the truth. For we pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy, the conclusion of a message titled At Your Service. If you missed any of today's lesson or want to listen again, you'll find it at ktt.org. And we're glad to have you with us today. As a faithful listener of Know the Truth, we want to take a moment to thank you for your support. It's your listening and sharing and giving that keeps this Bible teaching program on the air, bringing the truth of God's Word to people across the country and abroad. And this month, I want to invite you to take your support a step further by becoming a Truth Ambassador. These monthly supporters give an automated gift of $25, $50, $100, maybe more, to share the gospel and help other believers become more firmly rooted in God's Word. You'll receive a welcome package with recently written books by Philip DeCourcy and other exclusive benefits. And as a bonus, we'll also send you a custom Know the Truth shirt as a special thank you. This special gift is for those who become a monthly Truth Ambassador during January and it will regularly remind you that you are a faithful member of the Know the Truth team. Finally, when you become a Truth Ambassador or give a one-time gift of any amount, you'll receive Living by God's Promises. This book will help you treasure the promises that God establishes in Christ and conveys in His covenant love to comfort you in sorrow and strengthen your faith. So call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. 
And if you'd prefer to write, address your envelope to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. Now, if you haven't already, look for us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and get connected with our online community. There you can stay up to date on upcoming events, ministry announcements, fellowship opportunities, and more. Just search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Join us again tomorrow as Philip begins a message about deception titled, Danger Ahead. We're learning how to resist those who resist the truth. That's Thursday here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.